Thanks so much for joining us today. We would love to hear how this ministry is impacting your life. Please take a moment and email us at mystory@calvaryjunctionchurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can go to our website at cowboyjunctionchurch.com and click Give. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the message today. We are in this series talking about the dysfunctional family, and we all have one. Anybody here a part of a dysfunctional family? Yeah, yeah. We all are. It's amazing. It's so funny. Back when I was growing up, if, if they'd have said that in the 80s, anybody part of a dysfunctional family? In the 80s, everybody would, no, no, none of us were. And now we're like, nah, it's pretty much our family. We're so dysfunctional. But the funny thing is, is as dysfunctional as all of our families can be, uh, God still does an amazing work in dysfunction. And he brings a function. He brings his grace and mercy. And you may be in this room and you may say, there's no hope for me. If you only knew where I came from, if you only knew what we were going through, there's no hope for our marriage. Our marriage is ruined. It's done. And there's so much dysfunction in our marriage. And I would turn to you and say, there's just so much dysfunction in our kids. Gosh, our kids, we, if, we, if we could do it all over again, we'd do it different. But our kids are messed up. They're just messed up. I'd go, ugh. And if you turn to me and you go, I am one messed up sucker. Everywhere I go, there's so much dysfunction in me. And I would turn to you and say, man, in all the dysfunction you tell me, I can tell you story after story about the miracles that God has done in the middle of your dysfunction. And that's why this is so important. Today is so cool. When you walked in today, there was a sign hanging over the door that said PG-13 rating, uh, no little kids. And the reason why is because today, for me to kick off my first sermon in this message today, guess what we're going to talk about? The most dysfunctional thing, sex. Yeah. But specifically, we're going to talk about how do you talk to your kids about sex, okay? Because let me just tell you what, that's messed up right there. That's, as, a, as a parent, as a parent, that's messed up right there, Okay. But in the middle of all the things that I'm afraid of in talking to my kids about sex, God's grace is amazing. And my kids have so much grace for me. And they've got so much grace for you too. And they love you. And you can't mess this up. But with this, I want to just kind of talk to you real quick and kind of debunk the whole funk on sex and talking to your kid about it because your kids want you to talk about them. Today I want to show you what I think wraps up everything that we're going to talk about today. And this is the entire message wrapped up in one, uh, help me out here, here we go, there it is, no that's not it, okay that is it, yes it is, tell them what sex is, okay, so that we can do what, what's the next one, so that we can know what sex is not. If we were to condense the whole message into one statement. If we were to talk about the next 30 to 40 minutes, what we're going to talk about, this is it. We've got to let our kids know what sex is. So they'll be able to identify what sex is not. Okay? And that's as simple as it is. For every person in the room who says, I'm not ready to talk to my kids. No, I think you are. And here, here's why. You're going to do a great job telling them what sex is so that they'll be able by themselves to have the leverage to understand what sex is not. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of voices in the world for our kids. There's a lot of voices in the world for adults, too, when it comes to sex. But if we teach a child in the way they should go, then that way they will never depart from it. Even when they get old, they will always come back to it. And, and let me just tell you real quick. If you're, if you're in this room and you're like, if I'd have known that they were going to talk about kids and telling them about sex, I would not have come. But what makes this such a great place is you can be here today and not have any kids, not even have this, this whole message to apply to you about going and talk to kids about what sex is. But the question I have for you is, as you sit here today, I want to ask if any, anyone has talked to you about what God's plan for sex is. Because you may be here today a 40-year-old child, because nobody sat down and explained to you the godly plan that he has, one of the greatest gifts he's given mankind, sex. I don't know if you know this about our God, but our God has, has many names. Uh, Jehovah Jireh is one I used a minute ago. 
It's the name to describe God our provider. That's a great name. Many other names. But one thing that our God is known as, and he's not known as it very often, but our God is actually known as the sex God. It's not very popular. They don't use that a lot in church. They don't put it on the church banners. They don't hang it on the walls. Okay? But he actually is, and the reason why is because in sex comes creation, and our God is the God of creation. Uh, from our God, he is also relational. And sex has been given to marriage to cause a relation to be built between a husband and a wife. Intimacy. Nothing for the humans is more intimate than sex. And our God gave his son to die on the cross to then his blood be the lamb sacrificed for the forgiveness of the sins of the world so that he could have intimate relationships, communication with his children. Our God is an intimate God. So when he made sex, he made it just like he would have made it. And we get to experience something that is good and godly and wonderful and pure and true. And that is the revelation of what sex can be. And not the dirty, down, ugly side of sometimes the way the world portrays sex. So that's why today is so important. I'm going to call a timeout real quick. The Maddox Foundation has put together a community plan to reduce teen pregnancy in Lee County. And, and they asked me to be a part of it. For the last two years, CG and I have been a part of, of this, this team. And th this was a very uncomfortable conversation. This was not a fun thing for any of us. I had many, many, many other things to do than to go around and talk about the things they talk about. Oh my gosh, I did I not know that I did not know so much. I thought I knew everything. And I didn't. And let me just tell you, you would be embarrassed, but this was so good for me. It was so rich. And I learned so much being a part of this organization. Now, if you're a church goer, like I've been a church goer for a long time, the issues of teen pregnancy has always been a, 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 a tough topic in the world of church. And let me just tell you, we've dropped the ball over the years. And the way that we've dropped the ball is we've made people feel guilty for something that they shouldn't have felt guilty about. Okay? We've made teen mothers feel shame when shame was not supposed to be felt. We've brought on guilt and embarrassment. We've said things from the pulpit over the years. I remember growing up, and we as a church, not Cowboy Junction, but we as a church in the history, did not handle teen pregnancy well. And let me just tell you, just because today we're talking about taking a teenager and saying, we hope you don't get pregnant, what we're saying is two things. Number one, we hope you postpone getting pregnant so that you can go be whoever it is you feel like you need to go be. We think you should experience college. We think you should experience education. Because one of the things a teenage mother experiences after they find out they're pregnant is that a child is very, very time-consuming, very, very expensive, and it costs all the energy you have. And there's many teenage mothers who never experience what they thought life would be like because they had a baby at such an early age, okay? So this organization set out to figure out how in Lee County, New Mexico, we can give girls more information and give boys more information so that they can make some decisions that do not affect them at such an early age. In times they should be kids, they're turning into adults too quickly. Does that make sense? But with the same thing, I want to jump in and say this. As far as a church, how do we see teen pregnancy here at Cowboy Junction? Number one, I think it's the same way that the Maddox Foundation views it. There are choices we want to see you make first before we get to babies. But number two... We love babies at Cowboy Junction Church. We don't care how they get here. We don't care where they came from. We don't care whose they are. We love babies, okay? If anyone brings a baby to Cowboy Junction Church, we celebrate babies. This is the point y'all should be shouting. Y'all should be getting excited. If you, if, if you disagree with that, write me an email to C.G. Harden at cowboyjunctionchurch.com, okay? And the reason why I want to jump out and say this is because even though, even though someone may in their teens get pregnant, you have a body of brothers and sisters 
who are here for you and love you and want the best for you, but we will be the first to say, I think right now in your life that is not God's best right now in your life. And we need to talk about that. And as parents and as people in this church, we need to be educated about talking to people, especially the young generation, about what sex is. And if you're an older person in this room, you're like, Ty, I'm 20-something years old, and I didn't know you were talking about this today. No, 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 no. You may need to listen to this too. You might need to be here also. But in this amazing organization, a few things jumped out. Maybe some of the things you didn't know were, were when do kids in Lean County, New Mexico, start having sex? This is a fun conversation. Right now, in your seat, just start thinking, what is the age that young people in Lee County, New Mexico, start having sex? When do you think it is? Don't shout it out. Don't tell your neighbor. Just keep it to yourself. Here we go. Let's start off with the first number. In the ninth grade, 18% of Lee County kids have had sexual intercourse. I don't know how you feel about that, okay? Uh, but that's just the ninth grade. Right now, in the Maddox Foundation, the Teen Pregnancy Center in town, they're dealing with people as young as 10. Okay? And, and, hey, you know what? We don't know. It's just... What do you do with that? I mean, honestly, that's, wow. But, 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 we're working on it. Ninth grade. But what happens in the ninth grade? In the ninth grade, we interviewed all of the, uh, most of the kids in the ninth to twelfth grade and had asked them one simple question. Have you ever had sexual intercourse? And 18% of ninth graders said, we have. Okay, but then look at the jump between ninth grade and tenth grade. 43% in between that jump. Now, I just want to be, have you aware that, you know, this ninth grader might have had an experience when he was in the ninth grade, never again, but in the tenth grade, they still asked him the same question, okay? And so you see that there's this increase, but it's a huge increase. And as you, can, as you can see, there's this jump between junior high and high school, okay? But what happens in the eleventh grade? In the eleventh grade, you see that 50%, 53% of uh, Lee County students have had sexual intercourse. But then a senior in high school, what does that look like? 74%. Now, I don't know what you thought before all this, but this was a poll taken from Tatum to Jow and interviewed all of these kids. And the Max Foundation can do stuff like this, but this is fascinating statistics to show you how important it is for us to communicate to our kids about sex. Now, I remind you, we love babies, but I think for every one of these kids, we want to give them the option of becoming an adult first before the pressure of parenthood kicks in. God has a plan. And babies are definitely plans. But timing is everything. Everything. Uh, the few things that you need to know about this when we look at is, is the question still is up there. When should you talk to your children about sex? Let me ask you, when did somebody talk to you about sex? What did that conversation look like? Who was it? Did it take place at your uncle's house? Did he sit down and show you a magazine? For a lot of you, that was your sex talk, a ranch conversation, uh, you know, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit there, and all of a sudden you pieced it together. Maybe you had parents who sat down with you and talked to you, specifically sat down and said, I need to have a talk to you. The next question is, what do you say? What was said to you? What did your parents say to you? And so this is the question when you start looking at 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. You can see the activity. What do you say? When do you say it? And just real quick, when do you think that the conversations should start talking to your kids about sex? Just think about it real quick. When do you think it should? If the 9th grade, they're 18% active, when do you think they should talk? I had a great conversation with a mother who I highly respect, someone who is very dear to me, that is fantastic and a, a successful mother. And when I was preparing this, she told me, she said, the fear for me is when the school jumps in and wants to have sex education for my kid, they take away the, the joy and the right to talk to my child about sex when I think my child should be talked to about sex. And she's absolutely right. Uh, here we have a whole world active, active in sex. And we have some people saying, we need to start now talking to, when they're born, we need to start talking to them about sex. And we have other mothers stepping in going, whoa, 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 whoa. 
We don't talk about it as much as you guys do. We don't see it on TV as much as other parents do. We don't go to the movies like everybody else does. It's not in our conversation. But I think we all have to stop, and from the pulpit today, I want to encourage everybody, what if? Now, what I'm about to share with you may just absolutely freak you out. But if you were to ask me, when do you think we should talk to kids about sex? I think starting at six years old would be healthy. And this is the part where every grandmother passes out and falls on the floor. Okay? Now, I want to just paint this picture. Imagine, if you will, Christmas rolls around and grandmother's holding the bowl and she's mixing the bowl. And she's, this is a Christmas morning and grandma's so happy. And all of a sudden, little Susie walks over and she's in her Christmas dress. And grandma's so excited because Susie's going to help her make pancakes. And little Susie gets her bowl out and she's mixing. And all of a sudden, grandma's thinking, this is the greatest Christmas of all time. Okay, and six-year-old Susie's sitting there and she goes, guess what, grandma? And grandma goes, what, Susie? And Susie goes, I know what sex is. As you hear the traditional family bowl shatter all over the floor, and grandma hits the ground. Okay, are y'all picturing this? Okay, are we all on the same page? And then mom walks in and says, what just happened? What just happened? And grandma gets up, and she's still a little woozy. She's pale. And she says, she just said she knew what sex was. And mom says, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Susie. Tell grandma what you know about sex. And six-year-old Susie jumps out and says this. I know that babies don't come from the hospital. In which grandma goes, oh. Okay, so you see what I'm saying? A six-year-old conversation is totally different than probably what you're thinking, the sex talk. But we've got to start talking to our kids at an earlier age. And I'm not saying we break down the whole full sex talk. But this is where a healthy conversations start because if a six-year-old can realize when mom went into the hospital and she stayed there for 12 hours and then she come out came out she had my baby brother and his processing mind says babies come from the hospital all of a sudden you've started now a conversation that really they don't they come from mom and dad it's a beautiful thing and this may not seem like much to you but it's everything because you started young with a trust conversation that your kids can turn to you and say, you've always been honest with me. Even from when I was a little kid, you were honest with me. And it goes from there. Here's another thing. Your body is a gift from God. Every six-year-old needs to realize your body has been given to you by God. No one has the right to touch it. Everyone must respect it. Your body is special. Your body is sacred. If anybody touches it, they did wrong. And at the same time, your body is the moment to where we get to realize now's the time to practice self-control. You realize as a six-year-old, there is no self-control. But how would you like a 16-year-old who has no self-control? Ah, now I'm talking. Because all of a sudden, if you can turn around and say, if you can't control yourself right now, I promise you won't be able to control yourself later. And I know you're going to turn to me and go, Ty, they're a six-year-old. I know. But I know you're eight-year-old, and they don't have self-control either, and we've got to start getting a grip on this. Because self-control is everything. Because if we don't have starting the practice of self-control now, trying to get a hold of it when they're 16 is going to be even more difficult than when they were six. Okay, here's another deal. I think for a six-year-old, they have to know this. I am here to protect the plan that God has for you. You can talk to me about anything. I love you. If anybody ever tries to break the plan that God has for your life, this is your body. If they touch your body, I want you to have the freedom to come talk to me. And this is a beautiful conversation. And you would say, none of that was about sex. And I would turn to you and say, you're absolutely right. But everything about it was about sex. And all of a sudden, you realize this isn't as hard as you thought it would be. And I want to turn to everyone and ask, did anybody have this conversation to you when you were six or ever in your life? And sometimes we realize the reason that there's so much dysfunction in the area of sex in our life could be because no one ever cared enough to sit down and talk to us about something as precious as our body. And if someone would have been there to be a protector over you instead of a, pre a predator on you, you might respect sex and the gift that it is more 
than maybe you do right now. Okay? But just think about that. Here's another one. So if you were to go from 6-year-old, let's go to 10-years-old. At 10-years-old, what does the conversation with a 10-year-old look like about sex? It looks like this. Sex is a good thing, and God created it. I, I don't think that's said enough. I, I think sex is a celebration. I think it's beautiful. It's God's perfect plan. Marriage rocks because of sex. Sex very often in our world is looked at as dirty and rotten and we can't talk about it. It's caused a lot of pain. It's hurt a lot of people. It's caused a lot of heartbreak and a lot of shame has come from it. But I want to jump out from this pulpit and tell you that it is actually a gift from God and it rocks. And I tell my 13-year-old that. One day, one day, one day, Sex is a good thing. And the reason why that's so important to tell my teenager that sex is good is because in his world, he's going to hear how many, so many ways it can be perverted. And my son will be able to recognize what sex isn't by knowing what sex is. And my dad said it was a good thing. And that doesn't look good to me. That looks ugly. Man, that looks bad. And all of a sudden, you've equipped a child by educating him. Sex is a good thing. God created sex for husband and wife. That's a stance here. We love it. That's how God made sex. Here's another one. Body parts. I think at 10 years old, you should start talking about what body parts are body parts. And, and let me just tell you, in this room, you may want to ask somebody what they call it nowadays, that, that part, because what you used to call it probably isn't what they call it now. And you want to have the clean version when you talk to your kids, so please sit down and talk to somebody about what they call it before you call it that in front of your kid. That's funny. I don't care who you are right there. That is funny. Everybody's afraid to laugh, okay? But I think at this point, 10 years old, we've got to start talking about body parts, okay? All right, here's another one. Okay, sex is not kissing and holding hands, etc. And, and honestly, I think that's, that, that's to us, we're like, oh, come on. Seriously. The more you tell kids what sex is, the more they'll be able to recognize what sex is not. And the greatest education that you can give your kids is by equipping them with the knowledge so that they can turn to the ones that don't know what the heck they're talking about and to be able to turn and go, that is not what sex is. Instead of being the kid that goes, really? Tell me more. Okay, let's go on. They're going to ask you. Okay, go back. I forgot that one. Sorry, Mer keep going. Ba, 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 ba. Here we go. There it is. They're going to end up asking you. Okay, well, if sex isn't kissing and sex not holding hands, then what is sex? They may ask you. Be prepared. Good luck with that one. Okay, here we go. <laughs> keep going. The next one. Okay. At 10 years old, I think we all in this room understand the grip that sex can have on your mind. It can be the number one voice, the factor that determines the actions that you have. And you know as well as I know that once perversion can get in your head, gosh, it can take control of so much. But one of the things that we know through Scripture is that we can take every thought captive and make it obedient to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So at 10 years old, this is a place to where we can turn to our 10-year-old and say, hey, 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 you put way too much value in your emotions. You get way too emotional, and you have got to get your emotions under control. You are not out of control in your mind. You have got to get your thoughts captive. Uh, we have somebody in this church who's raised with a beautiful little girl. She's wonderful, and, and she's a typical little girl. And her daddy turns to her and snaps his fingers and says, hey, you get your emotions under control right now. And she goes, I don't know how to do it. And he goes, no, you can do it right now. And he can instantly tell that she has got it under control. She just doesn't want to. But once they talk about it, once they get it under control, she can stop. And she gets it under control. I think far too often in our own lives, we let our mind get control of us instead of us getting control of our mind. And at 10 years old, if we start talking about get your mind under control, you take your emotions captive, you take your thoughts captive, all of a sudden we're teaching our children at 10 something that you know how big your mind can be when you're 16 
and 17 and 18. So now is when we talk about getting your thoughts under control. And if you're a parent in this room and you're like, I'm not even good at that, maybe now's the time to get good at that. Yeah, maybe now's the time to say, I let my emotions fly. Well, let's get a hold of our thoughts. Okay, here we go. Next one. Respect yourself and the opposite sex. At 10 years old, I think one of the greatest sex conversations dads we can have with our boys is when we go to Rose's and we walk through the first door, we can open it for mom. And when our son walks and we go, I think there's another door, why don't you go get that door for mom? And he learns to get inside, and he gets the door for mom, and he opens the door for mom. And mom now walks in, and all of a sudden, Rose's is this beautiful place to have the sex talk with your kid. And you say, wait, 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 what part of sex talk was that? You just taught your son how to respect mom. And if he can respect mom, he has a respect for women. And respect has everything to do with sex. Because in the world of perversion, sex is the place that's the most selfish place in the whole world. I want it. I need it. This is about me. And all of a sudden, because sex can be so selfish, you've just saw the weakest form of sex there is. Instead of the sex that God created to where each other, each other, were respected and honored and love took place. Is this not good? Because sex can be so selfish. And all of a sudden now, Dad, when you walk out of Roses, your big old truck, and you have to go to this side, and you have to open this side for Mom, and she gets in, and you shut the door, and you have to walk all the way around, all the way in front of the grill guard, all the way to the other side. And I know it's the long way, but with every moment of respect that you showed your wife, you just showed your son how valuable Women are in the kingdom of God. People matter to God. And the dangerous thing about sex is sex is one of the most difficult, perverted sins. It can be. Because it doesn't involve one per person. It involves two. And sex can be so selfish, but not the sex that God created. But you're preaching to your kids every time how valuable people are when you start valuing people. Yeah. yeah. Take a look at the world we live in and tell me, is there any value in people whatsoever? And then turn to me and tell you, tell me, what would it be like if someone didn't value your daughter? What if someone didn't value your son? But what if someone taught their child how to value your child? And all of a sudden, you're not the one protecting your child anymore, but because that young man was taught how to value other people, you can send them on a date and know that that kid values other people. That's pretty valuable. Man, guys, I, I wish someone had told me that growing up. That's huge. It's huge. Okay, 11 years old. How are we doing? 11 years old. What does an 11-year-old sex conversation look like? E explain a simple, easy-to-understand process of what sex is. Yeah, right. But you can do it. You can do it. You, can, you know your kids better than anybody. Uh, no one loves your kids more than you do. But this is the time to start talking. Uh, this is what I would think would be a good time to start talking. So the question is, Ty, have you had that talk? I have had that talk. It's amazing what you can talk about in a deer blind. Yeah. In a deer blind, you shut that door, and it's pitch dark out there, and they can't see anything. And you can talk about everything because you got them locked inside of that deer blind. Yeah. They never want to go hunting again, but you've had the sex talk, okay? And Brady and Hudson have had the sex talk. Not the same one. But enough respect has been generated between us over the years that I can talk to my sons, and I'm nervous as I'll get out. Nothing puts butterflies in my stomach more than having to have the talk. Heather's a big old stinking chicken. But we have had the talk, and we have had the talk to explain the process of sex. We didn't use pictures. We didn't use illustrations. We didn't use videos. We just had a talk. Talk. 
Here's another thing, 11 years old. We need to just debunk the sex conversations. So here's what I found out about 13-year-old boys. There's other 13-year-old boys in their life. And there's quite a bit of talking going on about, with, about something none of them know about. Yeah, <laughs> put that one together, okay? So what do you need to do? Here's a great conversation for your 11-year-old. What do you know about sex? And I'm not going to freak out, and I'm not going to give you any answers. I'm just going to say true or false. So you just, I'm going to sit here, and you tell me whatever you know about sex, and then I'm going to say true or false, and that's all I'm going to say. And you can tell me everything you know about sex, and all you're going to hear is those two words. And they're going to say, should I have sex? And I go, false. <laughs> I go, okay, 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 okay. Um, when sh should you have sex when you get married? True. Okay, all right. Should you have sex in a bed? True and false. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there's this conversation going back and forth. And it's comfortable, and it's pure, and it's godly. And this is a great tool for an 11-year-old kid. You just tell me what you think sex is, and I'm going to tell you true or false. Here's another thing, 11-year-old. Oh, 13, we're jumping to 13. Here we go, 13. What do you talk about at 13 years old? Number one, you need to understand sex and can recognize false prophets. This is the moment where you realize you're so glad you've been talking about this for a long time because there has been some great conversations at Houston Junior High of young men who have been educated by their parents, who when other little boys step in and say, this is what sex is, and other little boys step in and go, no, it's not. You don't even know what you're talking about. That's not even close to what sex is. And you sit back and you realize education is the strongest tool you can give your kids. Now, 13 is important to me. So some of these, I want you to just take a look at them. Here's the next one. You need to tell them what sex is. They'll know what sex is not. That's right, okay? Here's another one. It's important for a 13-year-old to understand menstrual cycles. Now, this is a big one. One of the things over the years that we've seen is that young men were just as confused as the very young ladies that were going through the same age as the boys. And here you have these little girls that felt shame and guilt and fear. But if we can teach little boys about what God's doing in these incredible young ladies and what's happening to them as they're turning into women, all of a sudden a respect level goes up for girls turning to women and not the fear, shame that can take place, that we all know that can take place. And dads, let me just tell you, it is good for you to hand your sons over to mom. And it's good for our sons to be able to be sit down with and educated to realize that this is actually a good, godly thing. And it produces some amazing young ladies that do some amazing things in life, like have babies and raise great families. And it's not shameful, and it's not something any young girl should feel bad about. But young men should learn to be protectors and not predators. Ladies. Would you agree that young men should be taught on this? Yeah. Believe it or not, that's the sex talk too. Here's another thing, 13 years old. Believe it or not, there has to be an understanding of contraceptives. Now this was a big one for me. I was never taught. But over the years I've realized that it's not that we're teaching kids how to use them. We're teaching kids what they are because the only way that kids sometimes learn is from other kids. And if we get a kid that understands what contraceptives are, they may never use them, but they are the voice in our schools, in our communities, that could actually help another kid. Let me just tell you why. The number one contraceptive in Lee County, New Mexico, is the Plan B. You can buy it over the counter at any pharmacy. Here's the wild thing. If 74% of... Uh, seniors in high school have had sex, then how many Plan Bs do you think are, handing, are hanging on the shelf in pharmacies in Lee County, New Mexico? And what ends up happening is after a young lady has had sex, she runs into the, the, uh, 
the store, and believe it or not, they're completely sold out. This is a constant conversation that we're having in the groups that we're working with, the Maddox Foundation. Um, and often, we find that uh, they don't know about any other birth controls. The next thing is birth control pills, how do you use them? This may sound bizarre, but if we can teach kids how to use them, they'll take them the right way. And for birth control pills, there are a handful of kids who knows that you take them and with a glass of water. There's kids who have no clue and have no one to ask, and they put them other places. And then what they find out is, is they're pregnant and they have an infection. And there's a constant conversation we're having. And so not only do we have contraceptives, but nobody knows how to use them. So it is important, even to your Christian godly kids, to sit down and say, this is what's out there, and this is how it's used. Condoms. How do you use one? What are they? It's not that they're going to use one. Everybody has to learn how. Larks. I don't even know about them. But they're long-acting reversible contraceptive. They're what's being promoted at the clinic. I know this is uncomfortable for everybody, but do you realize that, that for somebody in this room, no one cared enough to explain something like this? You may say, Ty, are you explaining this to your kids? We haven't got here yet. But I'm not afraid to talk to my kids about this because we've been working on this for a long time. Because here's what I know. My boys can be a blessing to somebody else's life. And if any one of these issues comes up, they'll be able to recognize what sex is so that they'll also be able to recognize what sex is not. Now, this is tough to talk about. But the reason why I want to keep saying that it's tough to talk about is because in Lee County, New Mexico, only 30% of the parents talk to their children about sex. That means 70% of the families in Lee County just leave it up to the kids to figure it out. And that's why I thought today was so important. The dysfunctional family, there's not a lot of conversation going on. But if we can start thinking about where do we start, how do we start, maybe you're here today and you haven't even started a family yet, but you can start thinking now, who's going to have the sex talk with our kids? How are we going to have the sex talk? Maybe you're today and you're in, we've already raised our kids. Our kids are gone. Well, you're going to be a grandparent soon, and there's nothing that a parent needs more than their parents to put their arms around them and say, we didn't do it this way, but we want to encourage you. It's got to be done. You're going to do a great job with our grandkids. Don't give up. Put it out there. And maybe you're here today, and you would look at all this and say, gosh, I wish somebody had talked to me about that. Well, that's why we're doing it today. Because one of the things in the Dysfunctional Family Series were we're realizing that the greatest thing that we can do for the young people in Lee County is to build stronger families. Stronger families cause young people to make better choices. It causes them to build better relationships and communicate a lot better, all from the value of a strong family. If you want to bless your kids, work on your marriage. If you want to bless your kids, you seek God first, and you see if they don't start seeking God. Education is everything. In fact, you may turn and say, Ty, all that you said up there, nothing was said about celibacy. I'm a huge fan of celibacy. I think celibacy rocks. Uh, from a young age, uh, I was told if I had sex, I was going to hell. Mom preached it constantly. Uh, I, I was celibate, not from choice, but just out of fear. Yeah. But I look back, and I remember this, day that I made a decision. I heard a youth pastor preach, and he said, Ty, listen to me. The greatest gift you will give your wife one day was not going to be putting a ring on her finger, though the ring is going to be great and she'll appreciate it. Well, the greatest gift you'll ever give your wife is the day that you turn to her and you say, I waited for you. And from that day, law didn't have a grip on me, but love did. And it changed my life forever. When I was 27 years old and Heather and I got married, I had waited. I waited my whole life. And there's so many people in this room that didn't. And let me just tell you, this is my choice. This is what I felt was important. In our meetings, we flew, uh, in the Maddox Foundation meetings, we flew this lady in. She came all the way from Houston. She flew out here. She's very active in the inner city and talking about uh, sex education, this kind of stuff. 
And she stood up and she gave a startling statistic. She said 10% of the time the celibacy message works. 10% of the time. And I shot my hand up and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Are we, cel- are we saying that we're not going to do celibacy? Uh, because it worked for me. That message worked for me. And she said, no, 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 listen to me. She goes, I'm a Baptist preacher. She was too. She was a Baptist preacher and she stood up, I believe in celibacy too. But only 10% of the people even consider that an option. 90% of the people don't even consider it an option. So what do you do? Man, I had to come home and figure out, what do you do? I'd like to see that number go up. I'd like to see value put on one of the greatest gifts God's given us. And I'd like for people in this room, adults, both, kids also, to start realizing that sex can be one of the most selfish things that you do in your life. Or it can be one of the greatest things that God opens up for you to show you the beauty of what he wants it to be in your life. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm getting a huge raise after this preaching. But until that raise and until I'm done, if you give me five minutes, I want to tell you a story. In the very first century of the church being put together, you've got to imagine all of these apostles and disciples went all over the world and preached the gospel. And the people that they shared the gospel with weren't exactly the most religious church-going folk you've ever been around. They had some bad habits. They had done things wrong. It was a systemic sin like you'd never seen before. But Jesus still told them they're worth going and telling them about Jesus, telling them about me. And they did. And as they went, three certain people, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, went to the church of Thessalonica, okay, and walked in and told them about Christ. And an amazing amount of people started following Jesus. Now, what's really interesting about this group is maybe that's what your story looks like. You're not perfect. There's a lot of dysfunction in your life. There's a lot of things messed up. But this whole thought about following Jesus intrigues you, okay? This church began to give report back to Paul and Silas and Timothy. And in, in the first Thessalonians, okay, Paul writes them, and he talks to them about their relationship with Jesus, but then he starts talking to them about some of the choices they were making. This is what he says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does sanctified mean? It means to turn from your lustful desires, to turn from your fleshly desires. You know Jesus, and now it's time to turn towards the choices he wants for your life, okay? And the first thing he says after this word sanctified, he says that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, in my mind, I know what that is. And I think you may have this conviction too. Like, I don't, how come it is that when I do this, I feel so bad about it? How come this one thing, and it's only this one thing, causes so much dysfunction and grief in my life? And Jesus uses Paul. I'll go back. To say, hey, listen, let's deal with the sexual morality stuff. Let's deal with this, okay? So verse 4 goes on. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And see, that's the thing. If we're going to follow Jesus, there's some things we have to look at. And we can be a Christian and still do some messed up stuff. We've got to start looking at is what I'm doing not only affecting me, but it's affecting other people too? If I was to interview the people I know and say, hey, do you think I'm a Christian? Would they turn to me and say, heck no. You are the most selfish, arrogant, self-centered person I've ever met in my life. And you would sit back and go, gosh, maybe I'm a Christian, but there needs to be some sanctification in me. And he'd say this, you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So here's Paul discipling these people just stepping out in faith. Verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Verse 6. 
and that in the matter no one should, uh, in, and, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Hey, if you're going to live for the Lord, you got to realize people are important to Him. And if we keep wronging people, I don't think you've found the best that God has. If you keep going out with people who keep wronging people, I don't think you're attracted to the right people. Hmm, that one hurt. Maybe it's not that you're looking for Mr. Right. Maybe you're not attracted to Mr. Right. Let me keep going here. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So I'm going to wrap this up, and there's three things I want to talk to the adults about today. Three things to talk to you about and encourage you in the plan that God has for your future. Here's number one. What if someone started talking to you about what sex is? So you begin to understand what sex isn't. Works for kids. Works for adults too. What if we started having the right conversations with the right people to get the right answers? What if everything we know about this beautiful gift called sex has been put together from what men told us it was and we wouldn't know what sex is because no one told us what it's supposed to be. What if this light that has been lit inside of you, this Jesus, begins to do a new work in us? What if? Okay? Here's another thing. Maybe the problem isn't sex. Maybe the problem could be us. If you're taking a dirty glass and poured water in it, it's still dirty water. And you pour it out and you fill it back up, it's still stinking dirty water. What if I turn to you and say, the problem isn't the water. The problem is the glass you're putting it in. Maybe that's the same thing with the sex we are experiencing in our life or the mention of it or the conversation about it or what we know about it. Maybe the problem isn't sex. Maybe it's us. God hadn't dealt with our selfishness. God hadn't dealt with the, the burning desire. But God hadn't dealt with the flesh. Maybe we should let him. Maybe we should let him. And the third and final thing, the beautiful boundary of sex is the boundaries of marriage. And I would turn to you and say, that there's this moment that God wants to deal with you. But there's other moment that God would say, sex can be out of control. But the container that I have built to make sex what it's supposed to be is a beautiful thing called marriage. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be scared of it. There's a plan in it. There's a lot of people that think that marriage is the ball and chain. And I would turn to you and say, most selfish people would look at that because there are sacrifices that must be made. There is flesh that has to be left on the ground. There is a lot of me that has died over the last 16 years because marriage will kill you. But that's exactly what needed to happen. A lot of Ty needed to die so a lot of Jesus could come alive in him. Marriage is boundaries, but it also protects the most sacred things. If you're in this room and you would say, yes, preacher, there's a lot of dysfunction inside of me. I would say, brother, welcome to the right place. There's a lot of dysfunction that we've all been through too. But God wants to do something new in you, just like he's doing something new in me. So if you would listen to Powerhead, maybe God wants to talk to you about some of that dysfunction in your life. Just let him real quick. Maybe there's some things that you would look at and say, man, I, that's too much pain one person should experience. I've got to let go and let God take control of that area of my life. Maybe right now, couples are just praying for their children and their grandchildren. Father, give my children wisdom. Let me be the constant source of protection and wisdom they need to be the young men and women they've been called to be. But I got this question. If you're in this room and you would say, Ty, I've ran from God and I've ran from God and I've ran from God and I cannot think of one reason why I would want to run from God anymore. We want to deal with the issues right now. Let's not deal with the issues. The issues, let's leave them alone. But let's just get down to this choice. Do you need Jesus? Do you just simply need Jesus? I remember that day for me. 
when I finally just said, Lord, I need you, come into my heart, be my Savior, he did, and my life changed. And it wasn't immediate change, it was gradual change, but I felt him in me. It was the greatest decision I ever made in my life. So let me ask you, if you're in this room and you would say, preacher, will you pray for me? I, I never thought tonight I would be open to just letting him come into my life and be my Lord. But I want that. That's the one thing I know I need more than anything. So here's what I want you to do. Every person in this room, their head is bowed, eyes closed. But if you're in this place and you would say, I need Jesus. And right now, I just want you to raise your hand. I want you to just open your eyes and look up here at me. And I'll see you. And, and just don't, don't, don't quit looking until you look right at me and I, and I see your face. Wave at me if you have to. Wave at me. Okay, I see you. There you are. Yeah. I see you. I see you. Yeah. I see you. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. And three people. That's so cool. Just look up here at me. Let's say this prayer. And remember, these, these aren't my words, but make them your words. You ready? Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. I've ran from you. Today I'm running to you. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Because of the forgiveness of my sins and Lord forgive me of every time that I chose something else and not you thank you I love you in Jesus name I pray amen I think that's pretty cool on a night that we talk about how to talk to your kids about sex three people give their life to Jesus that's pretty awesome that just goes to show you, it has nothing to do with sex. It has everything to do with relationship with the Lord. And when we start wanting what He wants, He'll start showing us His best for our life. Yeah. Uh, CG is going to be standing right over here. And she's going to be giving out Bibles and, and these little books. If you today accepted Christ as your Savior, while everybody's moving out, come over here and see CG. And, and she wants to, you to fill out this little card and give you a Bible. She would love to meet you. I know that, that uh, that's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. So there you have it. Uh, it will be a couple years before I talk on teens and sex again. So, uh, oh, quit. If you would, just stand to your feet. Next week's going to be good, too. I want you to know that uh, I believe in you. I'm praying for you. You're awesome parents, and God has a great plan for your kids. It's time for us to love God, love people, and have no limits in our life. I love you. Jesus loves you. Don't you ever forget it. God bless you guys, and have a great week in the Lord. See you later.